The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, that would be wonderful. Um, We are in a series at the moment called Fearless, where we are looking at the armour of God. And one of the things that I feel like God is doing in our midst and as a church in a lot of our lives through this passage is that he's highlighting areas of our lives that need to come into the light. In some of my conversations with some of you over the past few weeks, there have been things in your past that God has been, in his kindness, bringing to the surface. Some of these things have been hidden for a long time. Some of these things have cobwebs on them. For some of you, I get the sense that there are issues which have for a long time just been swept under the rug and they are starting to emerge as if now is the time to be dealing with it. For others, this passage has perhaps revealed some of your own vulnerabilities and that you might not have noticed it or put it down to some other factor, you might be starting to realize that you have been more susceptible to spiritual attack than you might have originally noticed. You might be starting to realize that actually you need the armor of God. Whichever way you've been responding to God's word in Ephesians 6, I get the sense that God is doing something big in our lives in the moment. And this is a good opportunity for us to lean into what he is doing. And so with that in mind, I want to open up the floor at the end for, for prayer. After, after, we, after the sermon, we're going to take communion, we're going to sing a worship song together. And then if you would like prayer, I would love for you to come to the front. I'm going to be here for a few moments. I would love to pray for you for whatever it is, whether that's healing, whether that's uh, an an issue that you're particularly struggling with, whether that's something that comes from the sermon. If you want prayer, I would love to pray for you. So I'm going to be here for a few moments after the service if you'd like to come and pray. So let's, uh, let's read the passage. Let's take a look at Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 20. This is a passage that we've been looking at every Sunday for the past. This is our, our fourth week in it. Uh, we have three more weeks. It's a seven-week series looking at the armor of God. However, I might add an eighth week at the end. I'm just looking at those last few verses, and I'm, I'm looking at Margaret, because every time I say something like that, she gets really excited when I say that, things like that. Uh, we might just add an eighth week because I'm just looking at those last few verses and I do not want to skim over those. So it might be an eight-week series. That's a decision I've, I've got to make this week. So, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me 
that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. And Lord, we, we pray this morning for the preaching of your word. The Holy Spirit, you would once again speak through the word that you have given us. You would open up our eyes and our minds to the truth of your word. You would open up our eyes to the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you would open up our hearts to the wonders of the gospel, the mysteries of the gospel, as Paul has just said. Jesus, we ask that you would teach us. You would reprove us, Lord. You would correct us, Lord. You would equip us, Father, through your word this morning. We love you, Jesus. Amen. One of my favorite stories of all time is the story known as or called Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. Has anybody read Pilgrim's Progress before? Maybe, uh, maybe, you've, maybe you've read a, uh, uh, an easier version of than the, than the Old English version. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, I highly recommend it. It's a story of a man named Christian, who in the very beginning of the story is confronted with the stark realities of his sin and he goes on somewhat of a quest, a dangerous journey to find salvation, to find the truth. And in one of the most, uh, maybe exciting as a young guy, as a young boy, as I used to read this story, and, and really one of the darkest parts of the book, Christian finds himself in the valley of humiliation and he's confronted with the great enemy, Apollyon. And the two of them go to battle. So can I just read to you about this battle from chapter 4? Then Apollyon, espying his opportunity, began to gather up close to Christian and wrestling with him gave him a dreadful fall. And with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then said Apollyon, I am sure of thee now. And with that, he had almost pressed him to death so that Christian began to despair of life. But as God would have it, while Apollyon was fetching of his last blow, thereby to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly reached out his hand for his sword and caught it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. He got that from Micah 7, 8. And with that gave him a deadly thrust, which made him give back as one that had received his mortal wound. Christian, perceiving that, made at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And he got that from Romans 8.37. And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon's wings and sped away that Christian saw him no more. We're talking today about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We've, take, we've taken one week uh, each Sunday to look at a different aspect, a different piece of the armor of God. And today we're looking at verse 17, where Paul says to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so this morning we're just going to simply look at, those, look at that sentence in the four parts which we've received it. So part one, we're going to look at the sword. Part two, we're going to look at the of the Spirit part. Part three, we're going to look at the part that says, which is the Word of God. And then part four, we're going to circle back to the beginning of the sentence and look at what it means to take it, to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
And so part one, let's ask an important question. What armor is this? And this armor is a sword. And straight away, the very fact that God lists, that Paul lists uh, the armor, in the armor of God a sword tells us something very important. A sword's primary purpose is, some, a sword can be used as a defensive weapon, but a sword's primary purpose is offense, as, as an offensive weapon. All the other pieces of armor that we see in the armor of God are defensive weapons, but this one is offensive. And that tells us something. That tells us that we have been called to a fight. Furthermore, the type of sword that Paul is talking about here is called the Maharain, which is a short sword. It's about 50 to 60 centimeters long, or 20 to 24 inches. And for a Roman soldier, when they would approach the front lines, where they would charge their enemies, uh, the enemy ranks, they would use a different kind of weapon, what we would call now uh, a heavy pike, and which is like a large spear-like weapon, long wooden pole with a blade on the end, and they would charge down their enemies with these heavy pikes. And once they, would, once they broke through those forces, once they broke through those battles, the, the, the front lines, then they would drop the pikes and they would reach for their macharine, they would reach for this short sword. And this tells us that the kind of fighting that Paul has in mind here is the kind of fighting that is up close and personal. It's the kind of fighting that is more risky, <clears throat> where someone is more vulnerable. <clears throat> to Paul's original readers, the kind of images brought to mind would be of close and risky warfare. Ask any police officer who has been trained in hand-to-hand combat, and they will tell you that the further they are from their assailant, the safer they are. Paul's talking about a kind of fight that isn't particularly safe. It's vulnerable. And what this is telling us is that those of us who are are Christians who have faith have a fight on our hands. And we we are called to engage in the fight for our faith. Now, just in case some of us are starting to get a little bit too excited about inflicting verbal wounds against other people on social media, we've got to remember, we've got to remind ourselves uh, of verse 12 where Paul says that the wrestle is not with flesh and blood. He's not telling us to take up the sword against people. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a wrestle with flesh and blood because we certainly do have a wrestle with, with flesh and blood. That might be our own flesh. That might be with a wrestle with those around us who don't like us or who want our freedoms in Christ taken away from us. That is definitely true. But what Paul is telling us is that underneath the physical world which we can see, there is a spiritual world which we can't see. In that spiritual world is the enemy of God and his servants, and their aim and their desire is to crush us. And this is why Paul has called us to take up the sword of the Spirit. We are called to engage in a fight. If you're a Christian because a preacher at some, some stage told you that the, that the Christian life would be easy, I'm sorry, but you have been lied to. And I genuinely actually am sorry about that. We are called to engage in spiritual conflict, to put sin to death. You see, the reality for those of us who are in Christ is that our sin has been paid for. Our sin has been removed from us, and we no longer bear it. And that is true of all Christians. It's what is known as salvation. We stand guiltless before our God. And that's not because we've earned that. That's not because we've done something special or because we are something special. It comes to us by the gift of grace of God, that he does that of his own work. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to absorb his wrath upon sin so that we will never, ever have to endure God's wrath. 
This is the wonderful and true and very good news of the gospel, that for those who are in Christ, our sin is no longer our own. And yet we also still live in a broken world, and sin still reigns, and we still must wrestle with it. This is the process of sanctification. Salvation happens in an instant, but sanctification happens in a lifetime. And we have, as Christians, the joy of putting our sin to death. Now, why is that a great joy? Why is it a great joy to put our sin to death? It's a great joy because it brings us great joy to obey our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who took our sin and he commands us to sin no more. And it it gives us great joy to be obedient to our Father. And yet God continually and consistently loves us even when we do sin. This is the God we serve. He is faithful to us. He is steadfast in his love towards us. And he calls us to, to put our sin to death. And this is what that sword is for. It is a weapon that has been designed to wound and to kill. So what does Paul have in mind that he wants us to kill, to put to death, to wound. Well, he has in mind the schemes of Satan, which are designed to separate us from God. And we've been looking at these schemes of Satan for the past few weeks. These schemes of Satan are many, and they are varied, and they are often customized for each individual. And we need to know and be able to recognize the tactics of of, of our enemies. It may be that the schemes of Satan against us are to discourage us through condemnation. Maybe past sins flash vividly before our minds and we become convinced that God could never love us. If that's the case, if you're in Christ and you decide to become convinced or discouraged that God doesn't love you, that is not from God. That is an attack of the enemy. It needs to be put to death. It may be that Satan's schemes against you aren't so much to do with your sins in the past, but the recurrence of sins in the present. You're tempted and enticed, and you fail regularly, even though you know that sin leads to death. It's helpful to me to think of sin as kind of like a a tray of of fresh, warm cinnamon donuts. We know that smell, right? It's enticing. It's fantastic. You're like, wow, that smells incredible. Like you walk past Donut King, you're like, oh my goodness, that, sounds, that smells incredible. And you come to this tray and there's a sign next to the donuts to say, caution, these, these donuts are poisonous. And we go, oh, is it worth it? Like I know that's going to lead to death, but it just smells so good. It's so enticing. Just a nibble or maybe just a bite, just one, right? That's what temptation is like. Temptation is a difficult thing. It's something we have to go to war against. We have to use the sword and it needs to be killed. It could be that Satan wants us to doubt God's goodness or his love for us. Friends, if we permit sin, or sorry, if we permit doubt as a stowaway in our life, that will rot and fester our faith. Now, we all struggle with doubts of some kind, but we must not permit them as passengers in our lives. They need to be put to death. We need to take the sword to doubt. The schemes of Satan in our lives could be the comforts and the pleasures of the lifestyle that we're pursuing, and our relationship with God is slowly being cooled by the pursuit of our best life now. People often say to me, well, it must be so nice to, to do ministry on the coast. It must be so easy to plant a church on the Sunshine Coast. And I always want to say to them, do you really think that somebody who's like sitting on Moffat Beach 
soaking up the sun's rays, you know, getting a nice tan, enjoying the weather, enjoying how beautiful everything is, sipping a caramel latte, is sitting there going, I really need to be safe from this. Like, we live on the Sunshine Coast in a beautiful part of the world, and we've got to be aware of just how, how dangerous our pursuit of some kind of wonderful lifestyle can be to our faith. There's nothing wrong with living on the Sunshine Coast, obviously. There's nothing wrong. In fact, it's wonderful to enjoy God's creation. But if our love for that kind of lifestyle, if our love for that kind of thing, if that exceeds, for our, if that exceeds our pursuit of Christ, if that is more important to us than anything else, then that is going to slowly rot and kill our faith. We must take the sword to our love of comfort. Or maybe the scheme of Satan is an unhealthy self-interest. And the, self-interest. And the more that I consider this, the more I weigh this up, the more I think that this is perhaps one of the most dangerous of all the schemes of Satan. We become so focused on ourselves that we carefully curate every little aspect of our lives so that all the things in our lives are first and foremost beneficial to us. God forbid we would ever think of somebody else. That scheme there is hard to detect. It's widespread. It's unbelievably damaging to our faith and it needs to be put to death. These things, amongst many, many more, that is by no means a comprehensive list, are the reasons why God gives us a sword. They must be killed. This is why Paul says in Romans 8.13, If you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Or as the, the Puritan John Owen says, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. The schemes of Satan need to be dealt a mortal blow, and this is why we're called to take up a sword. This is why we've been given a sword. So that's part one, that's the sword. Part two, our second question is, where does this sword come from? And the answer is, it is of the Spirit. Now when Paul says that the sword is of the Spirit, what he means is that it comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source of the sword. He is the origin of the sword. One of my favorite scenes from the Lord of the Rings movies is when uh, Elrond, who is the leader of the elves in Revendell, gives to Aragorn the sword of the king of Gondor. And he says, Andriel, flame of the west, forged from the shards of Narsil. Now, I'm a little bit disappointed that Joel isn't here because Joel is perhaps the biggest Lord of the Rings nerd that I've ever come across. And I texted him this week and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm doing this. And he was disappointed that he couldn't be here. But when, 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 uh, when Elendil... Uh, sorry, sorry, when um, Elrond gives uh, Aragorn the sword, it's not just any sword. It's the sword that has been handed down to every king of Gondor, and now it's come to, to Aragorn, the rightful heir of the throne. And it's the source of the, or the origin of that sword that makes it more than just a piece of steel. And friends, we need to hear this. Our Bibles are more than just words on paper. They are the very words of God, breathed out by him. The words that are found in the Bible find their source and their origin in God himself. Our Bibles are sacred. Our Bibles are big. Our Bibles should take us... Should, should, no other object in our house should garner as much reverence from us than the Word of God, than our Bibles. That's why we often say, if you don't own a Bible, take it home. If all you have is an app Bible, take one of those Bibles home. Read the Bible. Read the book Bible. 
The New Testament consistently teaches us that God is the author of his word. Paul says this in 2 Timothy, that all scripture is breathed out by God. And the Apostle Peter says that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If we are going to regard the word of God as being the sword that we must carry, we must definitely regard the word of God as being, the, sorry, regarding God the Spirit as the source of his word. The Holy Spirit gives us the sword. And since the sword is of the Spirit, we also need the Holy Spirit's aid for the interpretation of God's word. Jesus told his disciples that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, we need to be guided into the truth of God's word. And the Holy Spirit does this. Call into remembrance the words of Jesus, not speaking on his own, and the Holy Spirit does this, sorry, by speaking what he hears, bringing about conviction, witnessing to Christ. Paul also tells us that the Holy Spirit acts to remove the veil from our eyes so that we can understand the truth of the word of God. That's in 2 Corinthians 3.16. Because without the Holy Spirit, the things of God appear as folly to us. We are not able to discern the things of God without the Holy Spirit because the things of God are spiritually discerned. In other words, when we open up God's word, it's not just us reading, reading words on paper. The Holy Spirit is there with us, pointing us to it, showing us the truth of that. This is why the writer of Hebrews describes the word of God as being living and active. It's why we can open up the Bible and read the same passage that we have every year, the same passage we come back to and still find it fresh and full of meaning. We find it living, we find it active in our lives. If you're here and you're a Christian, it's because God the Spirit has opened your eyes to the truth that is found exclusively in the, in the Word of God. The sword that we are given is given to us by the Holy Spirit. He shows us how sharp it is and he shows us how to wield it. The third question then we have is, what then is this sword? And this sword, the answer is this sword is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the, of the heart. Have you ever held a knife that has been freshly sharpened? Have you ever held like a, a, a strong, sturdy knife that is razor sharp? A number of years ago, we had a friend of ours was getting some knives sharp, and he said, why don't you throw yours in with ours because it's the same price? Sure, no worries. I'm, not, I'm, no, I'm useless in the kitchen. I don't care much for these kind of things. I was like, yeah, no worries. And then he returned these knives, and they were scary. Like, I, I picked it up, and I was like, whoa, this is, there's something, it made me feel small. Like, if you've ever held a sword that is razor sharp, it makes you feel small. You're like, whoa, I really should not be holding this right now. At least I, Jimmy Smith Cottrell, should not be holding. Maybe some of you are more skilled with swords than I am, but I should not be holding a sharp blade at any time. Now, just for a moment, can you imagine if every Christian in the world had the same attitude towards the Word of God that we have for a razor sharp knife? that we handled it carefully? Can, can you imagine if we had that attitude, how that would change our lives, how we would handle that with care? 
We wouldn't just throw it around. We wouldn't just disregard it. We'd want to make sure we know where it is. A number of years ago, my first job ever, actually, um, or than my second job, I worked in a bakery at, at Brumby's Bakery on, in Wilston in Brisbane. And um, there was a particular type of bread that we had to make, and it required um, a razor blade being scoring, scorching, whatever it's called, just slicing the top of it, so that it opened up. Again, I'm useless in the kitchen. But there was this razor blade that, that got left on top of this machine, and every time the baker had to use that razor blade, he would take it off, use it, and put it back. And I was told my first day, if we ever lose the razor blade, we're shutting the shop down. We have to shut this, because that razor blade fell and it could fall into the, for some reason they kept it above the mixing bowl. <laughs> Don't know why they did that. But if we ever lost that blade, it would shut the store down immediately. Can, can we imagine what, like, if we treated the word of God like that? Like we want to make sure we know where it is all the time. We want to make sure we're handling it well. The sword of the spirit, which is a piece of the armor of God, which we are called to take up, is the razor sharp word of God. It's what deals the mortal blows against the schemes of Satan. The sword of the Spirit is not our passion for God. The sword of the Spirit is not our conviction of its truth. It is not our theological prowess. It is not our works. It is not our history. It is not our profound and clever thoughts. The sword of the Spirit that has been given to us by God is his word. And this is why our enemy wants us to keep the sword sheathed. He wants us to think that it's blunt. That it's irrelevant. He wants us to hesitate before we reach for it and consider maybe there's another weapon I should be grabbing for. He wants us to be convinced that we cannot use it and this, this word should be left to some other professional. Why, why does Satan want those things? Why does he want us to not use the word of God? He doesn't want us to use the word of God because he knows how sharp it is. He knows that it will wound him and he fears its sting. Even, he knows that even in the freshest and feeblest and most inexperienced hands, God's word can still wound him. This is why we want to be in God's word all the time. This is why we want our kids to be in God's word all the time. Parents, we know not to teach our, we know, know to teach our kids, don't play with knives. This is a knife they can play with. This is a blade they should pick up. It's a good thing to teach your children to pick up the word of God. It's a good thing to, to help them navigate their way through it, to, to show them the contents page, to show them the chapters and numbers, to show them how it is divided. It's a good thing to read it with your kids. It's a good thing for us to read it, not just on our own, but also with one another. It's a source of deep sadness for me that how few churches these days trust the Word of God. I, I know pastors who take great strides to, to try and explain away the parts of the Bible that are hard to understand or offensive. They pick and choose from it, opting to quote uh, from another pastor or another book. They, they pick and choose from it, kind of wanting to uh, stand in judgment over it themselves. They, they're trying to make it just a little bit, a little bit less offensive. Let, let's just stick to the easy bits. And whether that's done outrightly or subtly, the message is this. God's word cannot be trusted. Best you rely on your own wisdom or on mine. It's therefore no surprise to me that so many Christians are discouraged because of condemnation. They carry doubts with them throughout their entire lives. They can't stand up to the temptations to sin. They can't see how their love for God and their love for the world are actually incompatible. 
and all they care about is themselves. Their lives are virtually indistinguishable from the unbelievers around them. I'm going to put this offer out here again. If your Bible reading is pus, then make today the day that that changes. Don't put this off until tomorrow. Don't put this off until some other time. Don't hope that in one year's time, hopefully I'll have gotten better by then if you're not going to do it today. You might think, well, I'm busy today. I'd rather sleep in tomorrow morning. I'd just rather watch Friends. I'll, I'll read it tonight. If I can't get to tonight, I'll read it tomorrow morning. If I can't get it tomorrow morning, then it'll be the next night. And if that doesn't work, then there's always Tuesday morning and on and on it goes. And the things that threaten our faith remain as unchecked passengers, passengers in our lives, threatening our faith all the time. We must take up God's word. We must not let it, leave, it must not be left in its sheath. So just to recap, we've looked so far at what the sword is for, who it is that gives the sword and what the sword actually is, and we now come to the crucial final question, what must we do with this sword? And the answer is to take it. Take it into your hand and use it. And I want to get really practical here. Imagine yourself on the battlefield. The sword is in its sheath. It should be in your hand. And your commanding officer says, take your sword out. Do it. What does it look like to obey that command? It simply means to reach for it grip its handle, and pull it out. To take it means to not hesitate for it. Hesitate as your arm goes for it. Trust the Word of God. Trust it. The Word of God not only has the answers that we need, the Word of God has the questions that we should be asking. Paul says in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Don't hesitate to reach for God's Word. You only stand to gain the advantage as you reach for it. It is only going to do you good. And to take it means to not reach for anything else. You might be tempted to reach for a good, a good quote, or a coffee mug with, with your favorite verse on it. You might be tempted to reach for a different book or even a Christian book, but friends, we've got to look at Jesus as, a, as a, at least an example here. When he was going through the temptation from the devil in Matthew chapter 4, he himself quotes Deuteronomy and he says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't take up anything else until after you have taken up God's word. And that verse from Matthew 4 takes us to where we're going to finish up this morning because in it we have not just one, but three examples of Jesus taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to deal blows against his enemy. You see, Jesus had the Word of God on his lips. Not just because he himself was God, but, he, but because he was also in God's Word. Three times the devil tempts Jesus, and to those three temptations, Jesus responds with these words, It is written. And then he goes on to quote scripture. Jesus had read it. The words of God were on his lips. To have the word of God on our, on our lips means that it is so deeply embedded inside of us that it is spilling out of our mouths. 
We're not talking about having the knowledge of word that bolsters up our theology or helps us in debate, even though those things are good. We're talking about the word of God being so central and so deeply embedded inside of us that we've encountered God in his word. This is why we read Psalm uh, 119 this morning, verses 9 to 16. I just feel like we need to read it again. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight. As much as in all riches, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That's exactly what we've been talking about this morning. Having the word of God in us, being in the word and having the word in us. See, we're not just talking about going to the Bible so they can bolster up our theology, even though that's a good thing that our theology is actually built upon the foundation of the word of God. I'm talking here about a knowledge of the word of God where we come to know God through his word because they are his words. The Bible is actually where we encounter him and where we meet with him. When we come under the attack of the evil one, if we've forgotten who God really is and who he says we are, then we'll suffer the blows of Satan. But if we're in God's word and we're encountering him in his word, then we'll know who he is. We'll know that he's our rock and he's our refuge. God is the one who is high above all other things. There is no one like our God. He is infinite in holiness, infinite in majesty, infinite in glory. There is no one like our God. There is no one better than Jesus Christ. God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our entire lives. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipotent. He is infinitely powerful. He is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere all at once. He is sovereign. He is good. And he loves us. That's the God whom we're serving. And we only know that about him because of his word. We only know that about him because of his word. And we only know who we are in him because of his word. He adores us. He loves us. Even though we have sinned against him time and time again, he is patient with us. His his faithfulness is steadfast. It does not leave our side. We can only know that by being in God's word. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I know there's a lot in there. But that's just one example of who we are in Christ, that we are his workmanship. He loves us. By grace, we have been saved through faith. faith. It's not our doing. It's the gift of God, not because we've worked for it. No one can boast about this. We can only boast in Christ, and we've been created for good works, which God himself prepared beforehand that we we should walk in the good works that he has prepared for us. And that's, that's, what, three verses. If we are in God's word and we have this, if we're rehearsing God's word in, in us, if we are in God's word and God's word is in us, that's the sword that we need. And so where do we start? How, how do we do this? Well, here are 
four simple things that can help us to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. First one, read it. Simple as that, read it. Be in it every day. And I'm not just talking about the verse of the day being emailed to your inbox and you taking about 25 seconds to read it. I'm not going to lower the bar on this. Be in God's Word and let God's Word be in you. Let your time in God's Word dictate what the rest of your day holds. Don't try and squeeze it in somewhere else. Make that the biggest priority of your day and then schedule work, schedule everything else around that, around your time in God's Word. And in case you're thinking that I'm, being, I'm exaggerating or I'm, I, I just can't underline that enough, that should be the most important part of our day. If you're the kind of person who is fresh in the morning, you can wake up and you can read God's Word in the morning, do it then. If you're hopeless in the morning, don't, let that, don't give that time to God. I'm pretty useless at night. If I sit down and read God's Word at 8 o'clock at night, I'll be asleep by about 8.01, if it's an interesting part of the Bible. <laughs> but in the morning, that's where I'm fresh. So do, I do that then. Pick a book of the Bible and read through it at a pace that you can actually do it at. Now, there, there, is, there is value in, and sometimes there, there are reading plans out there which are really wonderful. There's the uh, Robert Murray McShane version, which is, uh, the, he'll get you through the Bible in one whole year. Um, that's really valuable. That's really helpful. Um, there are other Bible reading plans around. There is value in things like uh, reading one verse a day. Okay, oh, cool. That only takes like 10 seconds. No, no, read one verse a day for 30 minutes. And just marinate mar- 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 your heart in that one verse. Look at every single word. What does this word mean? What does this word mean? There's also value in sitting down and going, I'm going to read all of Romans in one sitting. And just seeing from that perspective, like mix it up if you need to, but be in God's word. Spend solid times in it. Maybe reading the Bible with somebody else is, a, is going to be helpful for you as well. I'd love to encourage you with that. If that's something that you need help with, please come and talk to me about that. Step number two, meditate on it. Don't just read past it, but actually let it bog you down a bit, which is what I was talking about before. A helpful way that I've been taught from other pastors about meditating on God's word is to let what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 ask us the questions that we need to actually ask of God's word. So all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. So, okay, this is, I'm reading a passage. I've got the Bible open right now. This is, according to his word, this is profitable for me for teaching. So God, what, are you, what is it saying? What are you teaching me here? It's profitable for reproof. How, how does this critique the way that I'm living right now? How does this, this passage that I'm reading right now, how does that critique my life? It's, it's profitable for correction. How does this correct my path? How does this actually bring me back into walking in the, in the ways of righteousness that God has prepared for me? How is this profitable for, for training? How does, this, how does this verse here, how does this passage train me and, and prepare me for what, what I have to deal with today? If you work, work through those four things, those four questions, every time you open up God's word, you're going to start to grow in your faith in ways that you haven't done before. It's going to be wonderful for you. And there are other, there, there are other ways, there are other questions, that we could, there are other formulas like that that are helpful. Step number three, pray it. Sometimes we find it hard to pray and the words don't come to us naturally. Praying through scripture is a wonderfully edifying practice as we realize that God's word does not return to him void, but accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. 
So praying through scripture is something that I was only introduced to only a few years ago. I had never heard of it before. And then someone showed me how to do it, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. If, you, if you've never done it before, can we talk after the service? If you'd like to do, if you'd like to do that, just pick a psalm and, and pray through a psalm. Pick a, a part of the Bible and just pray through it. And let, you use God's words to actually speak to God. And step forward, memorize it. Pick a verse and try and commit it to memory. If you started memorizing one verse per week from today, by December 31, you'll have, remembered, you'll have memorized 35 verses of the Bible. Now, I, I've got to confess, I'm not good at that. And I'm, really, I'm actually really bad at that. And I have to confess that I have hid behind that as an excuse for a very long time. And I'm no longer going to use that as, as an excuse. Because I can remember lines from The Simpsons from episodes that I watched 14 years ago. So I'm actually not that bad at it. I've just been lazy. Let's be a people. Let's be God's people. Let's let God's people have the, his word on our lips. A, a people of God whose his word is on our lips. And it's on our lips because it's in our hearts. It's in our lives. May we read God's word. May we meditate on God's word. May we pray God's word. May we commit God's word to memory. May we have God's word in us and we be in God's word. May God's word be on the lips of his people. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 